This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of King Lear by William Shakespeare Recorded by LibriVox volunteers to mark the 400th anniversary of the first performance of the play, which was on December the 26th, 1606. Act One, Scene One, A Room of State in King Lear's Palace. Enter Kent, Gloucester, and Edmund. Kent. I thought the king had more affected the Duke of Albany than Cornwall. Gloucester. It did always seem so to us, but now, in the division of the kingdom, it appears not which of the dukes he values most. For equalities are so weighed that curiosity in neither can make choice of either's moiety. Is not this your son, my lord? His breeding, sir, hath been at my charge. I have so often blushed to acknowledge him that now I am brazed to it. I cannot conceive you. Sir, this young fellow's mother could, whereupon she grew round-wombed, and had, indeed, sir, a son for her cradle, ere she had a husband for her bed. Do you smell a fault? I cannot wish the fault undone, the issue of it being so proper. But I have, sir, a son by order of law, some year elder than this, who yet is no dearer in my account, though this knave came something saucily into the world before he was sent for, yet was his mother fair, there was good sport at his making, and the whore-son must be acknowledged. Do you know this noble gentleman, Edmund? No, my lord. My lord of Kent, remember him hereafter as my honourable friend. My services to your lordship. <laughs> I must love you and sue to know you better. Sir, I shall study deserving. He hath been out nine years, and away he shall again. The king is coming. Sound a senate. Enter one bearing a coronet. Enter King Lear, Cornwall, Albany, Goneril, Regan, Cordelia, and attendants. Lear. Attend the lords of France and Burgundy, Gloucester. I shall, my liege. Exeunt Gloucester and Edmund. Meantime, we shall express our darker purpose. Give me the map there. Know that we have divided in three our kingdom, and tis our fast intent to shake all cares and business from our age, conferring them on younger strengths, while we, unburdened, crawl toward death. Our son of Cornwall, and you are no less loving son of Albany, we have this hour a constant will to publish our daughter's several dowers, that future strife may be prevented now. The princes, France and Burgundy, great rivals in our youngest daughter's love, long in our court, have made their amorous sojourn, and here are to be answered. Tell me, my daughters, since now we will divest us both of rule, interest of territory, cares of state, which of you, shall we say, doth love us most, that we our largest bounty may extend? where nature doth with merit challenge. Goneril, our eldest-born, speak first. Sir, I love you more than words can wield the matter, dearer than eyesight, space, and liberty, beyond what can be valued, rich or rare, no less than life, with grace, health, beauty, honour, as much as child e'er loved or father found, a love that makes breath poor and speech unable, beyond all manner of so much, I love you. Cordelia. What shall Cordelia speak? Love and be silent. Of all these bounds, even from this line to this, with shadowy forests and with champagnes riched, with plenteous rivers and wide-skirted meads, we make thee lady, to thine and Albany's issue be this perpetual. What says our second daughter, our dearest Regan, wife to Cornwall? Speak. Sir, I am made of the self-same metal that my sister is, and prize me at her worth. 
In my true heart I find she names me very deed of love. Only she comes too short, that I profess myself an enemy to all other joys which the most precious square of sense possesses, and find I am alone felicitate in your dear highness's love. Then poor Cordelia, and yet not so, since I am sure my love's more richer than my tongue. To thee and thine hereditary ever remain this ample third of our fair kingdom, no less in space, validity, and pleasure than that conferred on Goneril. Now our joy, although the last, not least, to whose young love the vines of France and milk of Burgundy strive to be interested, what can you say to draw a third more opulent than your sister's? Speak. Nothing, my lord. Nothing? Nothing. Nothing can come of nothing. Speak again. Unhappy that I am, I cannot heave my heart into my mouth. I love your majesty according to my bond. No more, no less. How? How, Cordelia? Mend your speech a little, lest you may mar your fortunes. Good my lord, you have begot me, bred me, loved me. I return those duties back as are right fit, obey you, love you, and most honour you. Why have my sisters husbands, if they say they love you all? Haply when I shall wed, that lord, whose hand must take my plight, shall carry half my love with him. Half my care and duty. Sure I shall never marry like my sisters, To love my father all. But goes thy heart with this? Ay, good my lord. So young and so untender. So young, my lord, and true. Let it be so. Thy truth then be thy dower. For by the sacred radiance of the sun, The mysteries of Hecate and the night, by all the operation of the orbs, from whom we do exist and cease to be. Here I disclaim all my paternal care, propinquity, and property of blood, and as a stranger to my heart and me hold thee for this for ever, the barbarous Scythian, or he that makes his generation messes to gorge his appetite, shall to my bosom be as well neighbour, pitied and relieved, as thou, my sometime daughter, Good my leash. Peace, Kent, come not between the dragon and his wrath. I loved her most, and thought to set my rest on her kind nursery. To Cordelia. Hence, and avoid my sight. So be my grave my peace, as here I give her father's heart from her. Call France, who stirs? Call Burgundy, Cornwall, and Albany. With my two daughters' dowers digest this third. Let pride, which she calls plainness, marry her. I do invest you jointly in my power, pre-eminence and all the large effects that troop with majesty, ourself by monthly course, with reservation of an hundred knights, by you to be sustained, shall our abode make with you by due turns. Only we still retain the name and all the additions to a king, the sway, revenue, execution of the rest. Beloved sons, be yours." which to confirm this coronet part betwixt you. Royal Lear, whom I have ever honoured as my king, loved as my father, as my master followed, as my great patron thought on in my prayers. The bow is bent and drawn. Make from the shaft. Let it fall rather, though the fork invade the region of my heart. Be Kent unmannerly when Lear is mad. What wouldst thou do, old man? Think'st thou that duty shall have dread to speak when power to flattery bows? To plainness honours bound when majesty falls to folly. Reverse thy state, and in thy best consideration check this hideous rashness. Answer my life, my judgment. Thy youngest daughter does not love thee least. Nor are those empty-hearted whose low sound reverbs no hollowness. Kent, on thy life, no more. 
My life I never held but as a pawn to wage against thine enemies, nor fear to lose it, thy safety being the motive. Out of my sight! See better, Lear, and let me still remain the true blank of thine eye. Now by Apollo! Now by Apollo, king, thou swear'st thy gods in vain. O oh, vassal, miscreant! He makes to strike him. Dear sir, forbear. Do, kill thy physician, and the fee bestow upon the foul disease. Revoke thy gift, or, whilst I can vent clamour for my throat, I'll tell thee thou dost evil. Hear me, recreant, on thine allegiance hear me. Since thou hast sought to make us break our vow, which we durst never yet, and with strained pride to come between our sentence and our power, which nor our nature nor our place can bear, our potency made good, take thy reward. Five days do we allot thee for provision to shield thee from diseases of the world, and on the sixth to turn thy hated back upon our kingdom. If on the tenth day following thy banished trunk be found in our dominions, the moment is thy death. Away by Jupiter! This shall not be revoked. Fare thee well, king. Sith, thus thou will appear. Freedom lives hence, and banishment is here. To Cordelia. The gods to their dear shelter take thee, maid, that justly thinkst, and hast most rightly said. To Goneril and Regan. And your large speeches... May your deeds approve, that good effects may spring from words of love. Thus, Kent, O princes, bid you all adieu. He'll shape his old course in a country new. Exit. Flourish. Enter Gloucester with France and Burgundy, and attendants. Here's France and Burgundy, my noble lord. My lord of Burgundy, we first address towards you, who with this king hath rivalled for our daughter. What in the least will you require in present dower with her, nor cease your quest of love? Most royal majesty, I crave no more than hath your highness offered, nor will you tender less. Right noble Burgundy, when she was dear to us we did hold her so, but now her price is fallen. Sir, there she stands." If aught within that little-seeming substance, or all of it, with our displeasure pierced, and nothing more may fitly like your grace, she's there, and she is yours. I know no answer. Will you, with those infirmities she owes, unfriended, new-adopted to our hate, dowered with our curse, and strangered with our oath, take her, or leave her? Pardon me, royal sir. Election makes not up on such conditions. Then leave her, sir, for, by the power that made me, I tell you all her wealth. To France. For you, great king, I would not from your love make such a stray to match you where I hate. Therefore beseech you to avert your liking a more worthier way than on a wretch whom nature is ashamed almost to acknowledge her. This is most strange, that she who even but now was your best object, the argument of your praise, balm of your age, most best, most dearest, should in this trice of time commit a thing so monstrous to dismantle so many folds of favour. Sure her offence must be of such a natural degree that monsters it, or your forvouched affection fallen into taint, which to believe of her, must be a faith that reason without miracle should never plant in me. Yet I beseech your majesty, if for I want that glib and oily art to speak and purpose not. Since what I well intend, I'll do it before I speak, that you make known it is no vicious blot, murder, or foulness, no unchaste action or dishonoured step, that hath deprived me of your grace and favour. But even for want of that which I am richer, a still soliciting eye, and such a tongue as I am glad I have not, though not to have it hath lost me in your liking. 
"'Better thou hadst not been born not to have pleased me better.' "'Is it but this? "'A tardiness in nature which often leaves the historian spoke that it intends to do? "'My lord of Burgundy, what say you to the lady? "'Love's not love when it is mingled with regards that stands aloof from the entire point. "'Will you have her? "'She's herself a dowry.' "'Royal king,' Give but that portion which yourself proposed, and here I take Cordelia by the hand, Duchess of Burgundy. Nothing. I have sworn. I am firm. To Cordelia. I am sorry, then, you have so lost a father that you must lose a husband. Peace be with Burgundy. Since that respects of fortune are his love, I shall not be his wife. Fairest Cordelia, that art most rich being poor, most choice forsaken, and most love despised. Thee and thy virtues here I seize upon. Be it lawful, I take up what's cast away. Gods, gods, tis strange that from their coldest neglect my love should kindle to inflamed respect. Thy dowerless daughter, king, thrown to my chance, is queen of us, of ours and our fair France. Not all the dukes of waterish Burgundy can buy this unprized precious maid of me. Bid them farewell, Cordelia, though unkind. Thou losest here a better where to find. Thou hast her, France. Let her be thine, for we have no such daughter, nor shall ever see that face of hers again. Therefore be gone, without our grace, our love, our benison. Come, noble Burgundy, Flourish. Exeunt Lear, Burgundy, Cornwall, Albany, Gloucester, and attendants. Bid farewell to your sisters. The jewels of our father, with washed eyes, Cordelia leaves you. I know what you are, and like a sister, am most loath to call your faults as they are named. Love well our father. To your professed bosoms I commit him. But yet, Alas, stood I within his grace, I would prefer him to a better place. So farewell to you both. Prescribe not us our duties. Let your study be to content your lord, who hath received you at fortune's alms. You have obedience scanted, and well are worth the want that you have wanted. Time shall unfold what plighted cunning hides, who covers faults, at last shame them derides. Well may you prosper. Come, my fair Cordelia. Exeunt France and Cordelia. Sister, it is not little I have to say of what most nearly appertains to us both. I think our father will hence to-night. That's most certain, and with you next month with us. You see how full of changes his age is. The observation we have made of it hath not been little. He always loved our sister most and with what poor judgment he hath now cast her off appears too grossly. "'Tis the infirmity of his age, yet he hath ever but slenderly known himself. "'The best and soundest of his time hath been but rash. Then must we look to receive from his age not alone the imperfections of long engraft condition, but therewithal the unruly waywardness that infirm and choleric years bring with them.' Such unconstant starts are we like to have from him as this of Kent's banishment. There is further compliment of leave-taking between France and him. Pray you, let us hit together. If our father carry authority with such dispositions as he bears, this last surrender of his will but offend us. We shall further think of it. We must do something, and in the heat. Exeunt. Scene two, a hall in the Earl of Gloucester's castle. Enter Edmund with a letter. Thou, nature, art my goddess. To thy law my services are bound. Wherefore should I stand in the plague of custom, and permit the curiosity of nations to deprive me, for that I am some twelve or fourteen moonshines lag of a brother? Why, bastard, 
Wherefore base, when my dimensions are as well compact, my mind is generous, and my shape as true as honest madam's issue? Why brand they us with base, with baseness, bastardy, base? Base? Who, in the lusty stealth of nature, take more composition and fierce quality than doth with a dull, stale, tired bed, go to the creating of a whole tribe of fops got tween asleep and wake? Well, then, legitimate Edgar, I must have your land. Our father's love is to the bastard Edmund as to the legitimate fine word. Legitimate. Well, my legitimate, if this letter speed and my invention thrive, Edmund the base shall top the legitimate. I grow, I prosper. Now, gods, stand up for bastards. Enter Gloucester. Kent banished thus, and France in choler parted, and the king gone to-night, subscribed his power, confined to exhibition, all this done upon the gad. Edmund, how now, what news? So please, your lordship, none. Why so earnestly seek you to put up that letter? I know no news, my lord. What paper were you reading? Nothing, my lord. No? What needed, then, that terrible dispatch of it into your pocket? The quality of nothing hath not such need to hide itself. Let's see. Come, if it be nothing, I shall not need spectacles. I beseech you, sir, pardon me. It is a letter from my brother that I have not all o'erread, and for so much as I have perused, I find it not fit for your o'erlooking. Give me the letter, sir. I shall offend, either to detain or give it. The contents, as in part I understand them, are to blame. Let's see, let's see. I hope, for my brother's justification, he wrote this, but as an essay or taste of my virtue. This policy and reverence of age makes the world bitter to the best of our times, keeps our fortunes from us till our oldness cannot relish them. I begin to find an idle and fond bondage in the oppression of aged tyranny, who sways not as it hath power, but as it is suffered. Come to me, that of this I may speak more. If our father would sleep till I waked him, you should enjoy half his revenue for ever, and live the beloved of your brother, Edgar. Hum! Conspiracy! Sleep till I waked him? You should enjoy half his revenue? My son, Edgar! Had he a hand to write this? A heart and brain to breed it in? When came this to you? Who brought it? It was not brought me, my lord. There's the cunning of it. I found it thrown in at the casement of my closet. You know the character to be your brother's? If the matter were good, my lord, I durst swear it were his. But in respect of that, I would fain think it were not. It is his. It is his hand, my lord. But I hope his heart is not in the contents. Hath he never before sounded you in this business? Never, my lord. But I have heard him oft maintain it to be fit that sons at perfect age and fathers declined, the father should be as ward to the son, and the son manage his revenue. Oh, villain! Villain! His very opinion in the letter! Abhorred villain! Unnatural, detested, brutish villain, worse than brutish. Go, sirrah, seek him. I'll apprehend him. Abominable villain, where is he? I do not well know, my lord. If it shall please you to suspend your indignation against my brother, 
till you can derive from him better testimony of his intent, you should run a certain course, where, if you violently proceed against him, mistaking his purpose, it would make a great gap in your own honour, and shake in pieces the heart of his obedience. I dare pawn down my life for him that he hath writ this to feel my affection to your honour, and to no other pretence of danger. Think you so? If your honour judge it meet, I would place you where you shall hear us confer of this, and by an auricular assurance have your satisfaction, and that without any further delay than this very evening. He cannot be such a monster. Nor it is not, sure. To his father, that so tenderly and entirely loves him, heaven and earth, Edmund, seek him out. Wind me into him, I pray you. Frame the business after your own wisdom. I would unstate myself to be in a due resolution. I will seek him, sir, presently. Convey the business as I shall find means, and acquaint you with all. These late eclipses in the sun and moon portend no good to us. Though the wisdom of nature can reason it thus and thus, Yet nature finds itself scourged by the sequent effects. Love cools, friendship falls off, brothers divide. In cities, mutinies. In countries, discord. In palaces, treason. And the bond cracked twixt son and father. This villain of mine comes under the prediction. There's son against father. The king falls from bias of nature, there's father against child. We have seen the best of our time, machinations, hollowness, treachery, and all ruinous disorders follow us disquietly to our graves. Find out this villain, Edmund, it shall lose thee nothing, do it carefully, and the noble and true-hearted Kent banished. His offence, honesty. Tis strange. Exit. This is the excellent foppery of the world, that when we are sick in fortune, often to the surfeit of our own behaviour, we make guilty our own disasters, the sun, the moon, and the stars, as if we were villains on necessity. Fools by heavenly compulsion, knaves, thieves, and traitors by spherical predominance, drunkards, liars, and adulterers by an enforced obedience of planetary influence, and all that we are evil in by a divine thrusting on, an admirable evasion of whoremaster men to lay his goatish disposition to the charge of a star. My father compounded with my mother under the dragon's tail, and my nativity was under Ursa Major, so that it follows I am rough and lecherous, tut. I should have been that I am, had the maidenliest star in the firmament twinkled on my bastardizing. Enter Edgar. Pat, he comes. Like the catastrophe of the old comedy, my cue is villainous melancholy, with a sigh like Tom or Bedlam. Oh, these eclipses do portend these divisions. Fasola me. How now, Brother Edmund? What serious contemplation are you in? I am thinking, brother, of a prediction I read this other day. What should follow these eclipses? Do you busy yourself with that? I promise you the effects he writes of succeed unhappily, as of unnaturalist between the child and the parent, death, dearth, dissolutions of ancient amities, divisions in state, menaces and maledictions against king and nobles, needless diffidences, banishment of friends, dissipation of cohorts, nuptial breaches, and I know not what. How long have you been a secretary astronomical? Come, come. When saw you my father last? The night gone by. Spoke you with him? Aye, two hours together. Parted you in 
good terms, found you no displeasure in him by word or countenance? None at all. Bethink yourself wherein you may have offended him, and at my entreaty forbear his presence until some little time hath qualified the heat of a displeasure, which at this instant so rageth in him that with the mischief of your person it would scarcely allay. Some villain hath done me wrong. That's my fear. I pray you have a continent forbearance till the speed of his rage goes slower, and, as I say, retire with me to my lodging, from whence I will fitly bring you to hear my lord speak. Pray you go. There's my key. If you do stir abroad, go armed. Armed, brother? Brother, I advise you to the best. I am no honest man if there be any good meaning toward you. I have told you what I have seen and heard, but faintly. Nothing like the image and horror of it. Pray you away. Shall I hear from you anon? I do serve you in this business. Exit Edgar. <laughs> Credulous father, and a brother noble, whose nature is so far from doing harms that he suspects none on whose foolish honesty my practices ride easy. I see the business. Let me, if not by birth, have lands by wit. All with me's meat that I can fashion fit. Exit. Scene 3. A room in the Duke of Albany's palace. Enter Goneril and Oswald, her steward. Did my father strike my gentleman for chiding of his fool? Aye, madam. By day and night he wrongs me. Every hour he flashes into one gross crime or another that sets us all at odds. I'll not endure it. His nights grow riotous, and himself upbraids us on every trifle. When he returns from hunting, I will not speak with him. Say I am sick. If you come slack of former services, you shall do well. The fault of it I'll answer. He's coming, madam. I hear him. Put on what weary negligence you please, you and your fellows. I'd have it come to question. If he distaste it, let him to our sister, whose mind and mine I know in that are one, not to be overruled. Idle old man that still would manage those authorities that he hath given away. Now by my life old fools are babes again, and must be used with checks as flatteries, when they are seen abused. Remember what I have said. Very well, madam. And let his knights have colder looks among you. What grows of it, no matter, advise your fellows so. I would breed from hence occasions, and I shall, that I may speak. I'll write straight to my sister to hold my very course. Prepare for dinner. Exeunt. Scene 4. A hall in Albany's palace. Enter Kent in disguise. If... But as well I other accents borrow, That can my speech diffuse, My good intent may carry through itself To that full issue for which I raised my likeness. Now, banished Kent, If thou canst serve where thou dost stand condemned, So may it come, thy master, whom thou lovest, shall find thee full of labours. Horns within, enter Lear and knights. Let me not stay a jot for dinner. Go, get it ready. Exit first knight. How now? What art thou? A man, sir. What dost thou profess? What wouldst thou with us? I do profess to be no less than I seem, to serve him truly that will put me in trust, to love him that is honest, to converse with him that is wise and says little, to fear judgment, to fight when I cannot choose, and to eat no fish. What art thou? A very honest-hearted fellow, and as poor as the king. If thou beest as poor for a subject as he's for a king, thou art poor enough. What wouldst thou? Service. Who wouldst thou serve? You. Dost thou know me, fellow? No, sir, but you have that and your countenance which I would fain call master. What's that? 
authority. What services canst thou do? I can keep honest counsel, ride, run, <laughs> mar a curious tale in telling it, and deliver a plain message bluntly. That which ordinary men are fit for, I am qualified in, and the best of me is diligence. How old art thou? Not so young, sir, to love a woman for singing, nor so old to dote on her for anything. I have years on my back forty-eight. Follow me, thou shalt serve me. If I like thee no worse after dinner, I will not part from thee yet. Dinner! Oh, dinner! Where's my knave, my fool? Go you and call my fool hither. Exit second night. Enter Oswald. You! You, Sarah! Where's my daughter? So please you. Exit. What says the fellow there? Call the clock-pole back. Exit third night. Where's my fool? Oh, I think the world's asleep. Enter third night. How now? Where's that mongrel? He says, my lord, your daughter is not well. Why came not the slave back to me when I called him? Sir, he answered me. In the roundest manner. He would not. He would not? My lord, I know not what the matter is. But to my judgment, your highness is not entertained with that ceremonious affection as you were wont. There's a great abatement of kindness appears as well in the general dependence as in the duke himself also, and your daughter. Huh! Sayst thou so? I beseech you pardon me, my lord, if I be mistaken, for my duty cannot be silent when I think your highness wronged. Thou but rememberest me of mine own conception. I have perceived a most faint neglect of late, which I have rather blamed as mine own jealous curiosity, than as a very pretence and purpose of unkindness. I will look further into't. But where's my fool? I have not seen him these two days. Since my young lady's going into France, sir, the fool hath much pined away. No more of that. I have noted it well. Go you and tell my daughter I would speak with her. Exit third night. Go you, call hither my fool. Exit another night. Enter Oswald. Oh, you, sir, you, come hither, sir. Who am I, sir? My lady's father. My lady's father? My lord's knave, you horse and dog, you slave, you cur. I am none of these, my lord. I beseech your pardon. Do you bandy looks with me, you rascal? He strikes him. I'll not be struck, my lord. Nor tripped neither, you base football player. He trips him. I thank thee, fellow. Thou servest me, and I'll love thee. To Oswald. Come, sir. Arise. Away. I'll teach you differences. Away. Away. If you will measure your lubber's length again, tarry. But... Away! Go to! Have you wisdom? He pushes Oswald out. So? Now, my friendly knave, I thank thee. There's earnest of thy service. He gives him money. Enter the fool. Let me hire him, too. Here's my coxcomb. How now, my pretty knave? How dost thou? Sirrah, you were best take my coxcomb. <laughs> Why, fool? Why, for taking one's part that's out of favour. Nay, and thou canst not smile as the wind sits. Thou'lt catch cold shortly. There, take my coxcomb. Why, this fellow hath banished two one's daughters, and did the third a blessing against his will. If thou follow him, thou must needs wear my coxcomb. How now, Nuncle? Would I had two coxcombs and two daughters? Why, my boy? If I gave them all my living, I'd keep my coxcombs myself. There's mine. Beg another of thy daughters. Take heed, Sarah. The whip? Truth's the dog must to kennel. He must be whipped out, when the Lady Brock may stand by the fire and stink. A pestilent gall to me. Sirrah, I'll teach thee a speech. Do. Mark it, Nuncle. Have more than thou showest. Speak less than thou knowest, lend less than thou owest, ride more than thou goest, learn more than thou trowest, set less than thou throwest, 
Leave thy drink and thy whore, and keep in a door, and thou shalt have more than two tens to a score. Hmm. This is nothing, fool. Then tis like the breath of an unfeed lawyer. You gave me nothing for it. Can you make no use of nothing, uncle? Why, no, boy. Nothing can be made out of nothing. To Kent. Prithee tell him. So much the rent of his land comes to, he will not believe a fool. A bitter fool. Dost thou know the difference, my boy, between a bitter fool and a sweet one? No, lad. Teach me. That lord that counselled thee to give away thy land, come place him here by me. Do thou for him stand. The sweet and bitter fool will presently appear. The one in motley here, the other found out there. Dost thou call me fool, boy? All thy other titles thou hast given away that thou wast born with. This is not altogether fool, my lord. No faith. Lords and great men will not let me. If I had a monopoly out, they would have part on't and loads too. They will not let me have all the fool to myself. They'll be snatching, nuncle. Give me an egg, and I'll give thee two crowns. What two crowns shall they be? Why, after I've cut the egg in the middle, and eat up the meat, the two crowns of the egg. When thou clovest thy crown in the middle, and gavest away both parts, thou borest thine ass on thy back o'er the dirt. Thou hadst little wit in thy bald crown when thou gavest thy golden one away. If I speak like myself in this, let him be whipped that first finds it so. Fools had ne'er less grace in a year, for wise men are grown foppish, and know not how their wits to wear, their manners are so apish. When were you wont to be so full of songs, sirrah? I have used it, nuncle, ere since thou madest thy daughters thy mothers. For when thou gavest them the rod, and puttest down thine own breeches, then they for sudden joy did weep, and I for sorrow sung, that such a king should play bo-peep, and go the fools among. Prithee, nuncle, keep a schoolmaster that can teach thy fool to lie. I would fain learn to lie. And you lie, sirrah, we'll have you whipped. I marvel what kin thou and thy daughters are. They'll have me whipped for speaking true. They'll have me whipped for lying. And sometimes I am whipped for holding my peace. I had rather be any kind of thing than a fool, and yet I would not be thee, nuncle. Thou hast paired thy widow both sides and left nothing in the middle. Here comes one of the pairings. Enter Goneril. How now, daughter? What makes that frontal don? Methinks thou art too much of late i' the frown. Thou wast a pretty fellow when thou hadst no need to care for her frowning. Now thou art an o without a figure. I am better than thou art. I am a fool. Thou art nothing. To Goneril. Yes, forsooth, I will hold my tongue. So to your face bids me, though you say nothing, Mum, mum, he that keeps nor crust nor crumb, weary of all shall want some. He points to Lear. That's a shield peas cod. Not only, sir, this your all-licensed fool, but other of your insolent retinue do hourly carp and quarrel, breaking forth in rank and not-to-be-endured riots. Sir, I had thought by making this well known unto you to have found a safe redress, but now grow fearful, by what yourself too late have spoken done, that you protect this course, and put it on by your allowance which if you should, the fault would not scape censure, nor the redresses sleep, which in the tender of a wholesome wheel might in their working do you that offence which else were shame, that then necessity will call discreet proceeding. For you know, nuncle, the hedge-sparrow fed the cuckoo so long that it had its head bit off by it young. So out went the candle, and we were left darkling. Are you our daughter? Come, sir, I would you would make use of that good wisdom whereof I know you are fraught, and put away these dispositions that of late transform you from what you rightly are. May not an ass know when the cart draws the horse? Whoop! Jug! I love thee. Doth any here know me? This is not Lear. Doth Lear walk thus, speak thus, 
"'Where are his eyes? "'Either his notion weakens, his discernings are lethargied. "'Ah, oh, waking, tis not so. "'Who is it that can tell me who I am?' "'Lear Shadow.' "'I would learn that, for by the marks of sovereignty, knowledge, and reason, "'I should be false persuaded I had daughters.' "'Which they will make an obedient father.' "'Your name, fair gentlewoman?' "'This admiration, sir, is much of the favour of your other new pranks. "'I do beseech you to understand my purposes aright. "'As you are old and reverend, you should be wise. "'Here do you keep a hundred knights and squires, "'men so disordered, so debauched and bold, "'that this our court, infected with their manners, "'shows like a riotous inn. "'Epicurism and lust make it more like a tavern "'or a brothel than a graced place.' The shame itself doth speak for instant remedy. Be then desired by her that else will take the thing she begs, a little to disquantity your train, and the remainder that shall still depend, to be such men as may besort your age, which know themselves and you. Darkness and devils, saddle my horses, call my train together. Degenerate bastard, I'll not trouble thee. Yet have I left a daughter." You strike my people, and your disordered rabble make servants of their betters. Enter Albany. Woe that too late repents. Oh, sir, are you come? Is it your will? Speak, sir. Prepare my horses. Ingratitude, thou marble-hearted fiend, more hideous when thou show'st thee in a child than the sea-monster. Pray, sir, be patient. To Goneril. Detested kite, thou liest! My train are men of choice and rarest parts that all particulars of duty know, and in the most exact regard support the worships of their name. Oh, most small fault, how ugly didst thou in Cordelia show, which like an engine wrenched my frame of nature from the fixed place, drew from my heart all love, and added to the gall. Oh, Lear, 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 beat at this gate that let thy folly in. He strikes his head. And thy dear judgment out. Go, go, my people. Exeunt Kent and Knights. My lord, I am guiltless, as I am ignorant of what hath moved you. It may be so, my lord. He kneels. Hear, nature, hear, dear goddess, hear. Suspend thy purpose, if thou didst intend to make this creature fruitful. Into her womb convey sterility. Dry up in her the organs of increase and from her derogate body never spring a babe to honour her. If she must teem, create her child of spleen, that it may live and be a thwart-disnatured torment to her. Let it stamp wrinkles in her brow of youth, with cadent tears fret channels in her cheeks. Turn all her mother's pains and benefits to laughter and contempt, that she may feel how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Away! Away! Exit. Now, gods that we adore, whereof comes this? Never afflict yourself to know more of it, but let his disposition have that scope that dotage gives it. Enter Lear. What, fifty of my followers at a clap within a fortnight? What's the matter, sir? To Goneril. I'll tell thee life and death. I am ashamed that thou hast power to shake my manhood thus, that these hot tears which break from me perforce should make thee worth them, blasts and fogs upon thee, the untented woundings of a father's curse pierce every sense about thee. Old fond eyes beweep this cause again, I'll pluck you out, and cast you with the waters that you lose to temper clay. Ah! Let it be so, I have another daughter, who I am sure is kind and comfortable. When she shall hear of this with her nail, she'll flay thy wolfish visage.' Thou shalt find that I'll resume the shape which thou dost think I have cast off for ever. Exit. Do you mark that? I cannot be so partial, Gonril, to the great love I bear you. Pray you content. What, Oswald, ho! To the fool. You, sir, more knave than fool, after your master. Nuncle Lear, Nuncle Lear, tarry, take the fool with thee. A fox, when one has caught her, and such a daughter... Should sure to the slaughter, if my cap would buy a halter, so the fool follows after. Exit. This man hath had good counsel. A hundred knights. Tis politic and safe to let him keep at point a hundred knights. 
Yes, that on every dream, each buzz, each fancy, each complaint, dislike, he may engard his dotage with their powers and hold our lives in mercy. Oswald, I say. Well, you may fear too far. Safer than trust too far. Let me still take away the harms I fear, not fear still to be taken. I know his heart. What he hath uttered I have writ to my sister. If she sustain him in his hundred nights, when I have showed the unfitness— Enter Oswald. How now, Oswald? What, have you writ that letter to my sister? Aye, madam. Take you some company, and away to horse. Inform her full of my particular fear, and thereto add such reasons of your own as may compact it more. Get you gone, and hasten your return. Exit Oswald. No, no, my lord. This milky gentleness and course of yours, though I condemn it not, yet under pardon you are much more attasked for want of wisdom than praised for harmful mildness. How far your eyes may pierce I cannot tell. Striving to better oft we mar what's well. Nay, then. Well, well, the event. Exeunt. Scene five. Court before the Duke of Albany's palace. Enter Lear, Kent, the fool, and a gentleman. To Kent. Go you before to Gloucester with these letters. Acquaint my daughter no further with anything you know that comes from her demand out of the letter. If your diligence be not speedy, I shall be there for you. I will not sleep, my lord, until I have delivered your letter. Exit. If a man's brains were in his heels, were it not in danger of kibes? Ay, boy. Then I prithee be merry. Thy wit shall not go slipshod. Ha, ha, ha. Shalt see thy other daughter will use thee kindly, for though she's as like this as a crab's like an apple, yet I can tell what I can tell. What canst tell, boy? She'll taste as like this, as a crab does to a crab. Thou canst tell why one's nose stands in the middle of one's face? No. Why, to keep one's eyes of either side's nose, that what a man cannot smell out he may spy into. I did her wrong. Canst tell how an oyster makes his shell? No. Nor I neither. But I can tell why a snail has a house. Why? Why to put his head in, not to give it away to his daughters, and leave his horns without a case. I will forget my nature, so kind a father. Be my horses ready? Thy asses are gone about em. The reason why the seven stars are no more than seven is a pretty reason. Because they are not eight? Yes, indeed. Thou wouldst make a good fool. To take to again, perforce. Monster ingratitude. If thou wert my fool, nuncle, I'd have thee beaten for being old before thy time. How's that? Thou shouldst not have been old till thou hadst been wise. Oh, let me not be mad, not mad, sweet heaven. Keep me in temper, I would not be mad. How now? Are the horses ready? Ready, my lord. Come, boy. Exeunt all except the fool. She that's a maid now, and laughs at my departure, shall not be a maid long, unless things be cut shorter. Exit. End of Act One, King Lear.